today on Anchored in the Word. But yet the Big Bang Theory brought everything into order. And people are, yeah, that's right. The smart people believe that. The wise people have that. You know, you unwise people don't believe that. You, well, the Bible says that it's a fool who has said in his heart there is no God. So it's these ridiculous theories that don't make any sense logically that a child could figure out. But man are believing. They'll be without excuse. They're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. They have to work hard at it. And God is working overtime, if you will, to get the word out there, to let people know that there's a way to escape the coming judgment. This is Anchored in the Word, the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Coastlands in Eatontown, New Jersey, with our pastor and teacher, Bill Beckelman. In a world that's sick, there is a remedy. Today, Pastor Bill's message will tell us exactly what it is and present us with ample evidence as to why it's the truth. We'll begin to understand why our hearts turn away from our Creator in order to determine our own truths. And what makes sense to us? When confusion reigns, we need to seek the Lord. At the close of Pastor Bill's message, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Anchored in the Word. Subscribe to the podcast or simply get in touch with us. But for now, here's Pastor Bill with today's edition of Anchored in the Word. And so the Apostle Paul writes about this day, the day of the Lord. Now remember, the church in Thessalonica was planted by Paul. He was there some three weeks, we know, from the book of Acts, chapter 17. And now he's writing this letter back to them to encourage them. They were going through times of persecution. Remember, we talked about the rapture of the church. Paul, in the previous chapter, was telling them about the rapture of the church and to be looking forward to that day. And they were living in a time, even 2,000 years ago, they were expecting Christ to return Anytime, that day, they were expecting Christ to return. And so here we are, almost 2,000 years later, and we're to be living in the same way. Although I would tell you, we are 2,000 years closer to his return. We are living in a time when we're as close as anyone has ever been to the second coming of Jesus Christ. About this idea of the rapture, the word is to be caught up. To be caught up is what we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. He's going to come back in the clouds and the church is going to be caught up. Those that are born again believers to meet the Lord in the air. Now, the second coming of when Christ comes back, he's going to come down with ten thousands of his saints, it says, and set his foot down on the Mount of Olives. That is going to be after the tribulation period. That's going to be speaking to the day of the Lord because the day of the Lord is not just a single day, not just a 24 hour period. What I want us to think on as we go through this passage, and it's going to be used words like, be sober. You know, there's two things, first of all. There's two kinds of people in the world, saved and unsaved. And this passage is written to believers, but it speaks also to non-believers. It's saying to the non-believer, get saved. And it's saying to the believer, get sober. Be sober-minded. Be clear-minded. This idea of the day of the Lord. I want to read you a couple of things from Isaiah. A couple of the places that it's mentioned, this day of the Lord. For the day of the Lord of hosts, this is Isaiah 2, 
12. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall bow low. Isaiah 2.17. The loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of man shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Isaiah 13, starting in verse 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp, every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate and he will destroy its sinners from it for the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light the sun will be darkened in its going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine i will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity i will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens, and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. Wow. Now, the good news about what I just read, can there be good news? Well, the good news is, is that the church or the believers are going to be caught up and they're not going to face the things that I was just reading about, this great day of the Lord, this period of time which gets ushered in, we believe, at the rapture. When the rapture happens, that's the beginning of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not a literal 24-hour period. Now, we know in the Bible when the word day is mentioned, context would tell us what that day is talking about. Now, for example, in the book of uh, in the Hebrew, in the book of Genesis, the word day is mentioned many times there, and it's mentioned as a 24-hour period. It says, and the evening and the morning were the first day, and the evening and the morning were the second day. It's very clear that he's talking about single days. This idea of the day of the Lord in the context that it's used, it's a period of time. It's God's day when he will be judging the world. There is a judgment coming on the world. Just as we learned about the rapture, we're all excited about that. We should still be excited about that. Because what's going to happen when the church is taken out of the place, the wrath of God is going to be poured out in the world. Judgment is going to happen. And God has to deal with unrighteousness, wickedness, even as he did in the days of Noah. You know, God did two things when he judged the world by the flood. At least two things. One, he purged the world from wickedness. It wasn't like it was God's fault that only eight people survived. And by the way, according to the biblical record in Genesis, only eight people survived that flood. That ark was a huge ark, and it was meant for more people than that. And, and Noah wasn't just a boat builder. But in that 120-year period he was building that boat, he was a preacher of righteousness. But nobody was listening. Everybody was too caught up in the world. It said at those times when, that, when the rain came, when the deep was broken up, and that was tumultuous. There were things going on in the bottom of the ocean. There was rain coming down. It was tumultuous. And all life was, taken, was wiped off of the face of the earth. 
But God made that boat big enough for a lot of people to escape, but only eight went in. God was purging the world of wickedness. You know what it said in those days? That every intent, every thought of man's heart was wicked. Everything. It got to that place where every thought that they had was evil and wicked, and they were carrying it out. And so God had to deal with it. So one of the things that he did is he judged the world to purge it of wickedness. And he saved eight. He kept humankind going. He sent away. He told him to build a boat. He picked, saw a man that, was, that would listen to him, and he said, build a boat, a big boat. Gave him the instructions exactly how to build it, and the man did it. As a result of that, eight people escaped the judgment. God did something else with that flood. He left a record of that flood. Yeah, there's a record of that flood. Archaeologically, that flood can be proven. It's called the fossil record. Fossils all around the world. Now, I know that the world is making up these fairy tales, that these, these are different times of you know billions of years in the layers and all this stuff like that. That's not the truth. There is a fossil record. Fossils are things that were once alive that are now buried in the crust of the earth. But what the fossil record really speaks to is that there was a worldwide flood, a tumultuous flood. And don't think of it just as 40 days of rain, sort of like we've had in a couple, maybe a little wind. No, this was tumultuous. And there was stuff going on. There were just, earth was being moved, and there was stuff going on. And it says that the mountains were filled to over the top. None were showing. Every living thing that was on the earth died. And so today, how do you explain? At the top of mountaintops, there are shark teeth at the top of mountaintops. How is that explainable? Or fish fossils, how is that explainable? Well, a worldwide flood, it explains it fine. And people are saying it took billions and billions of years for these different layers to be laid out. You know, when they had Mount St. Helens, remember that back in, I think it was in the 80s? That mountaintop blew, an amazing display of power. But then they found out that in a small period of time, all these different layers were laid down as the stuff came out of the top of that mountain and, and, the, and the stuff just ran down it. And scientists were like, that took billions of years. No, that didn't take billions of years. So God also left us a record that there was a judgment. Why did God do that? Because he wants us to know that he has to deal with wickedness. You know, for those that are all upset about people, you know, God's judgment, he's righteous and he's going to judge sin. But I'm going to tell you something. The alternative to him not judging sin, you know what it would be? We'll go right back to what happened in Noah's day. That's what's happening today. The world is getting more and more wicked. It was more wicked in Noah's day than it is today. But we're getting there. We're getting there. And as time goes by, it seems to be accelerating like a snowball going downhill. But if God didn't intervene, we'd all kill ourselves, apparently. That's what, you know, he's intervened. He sent his son Jesus to come into the earth, to step down into time. He's given us a record here, the Bible, to let us know these things. And he will have to judge evil. He will judge evil. But he's given all, all of us a chance, everybody in the world, a chance to turn from their evil ways to take the remedy. The antidote is Christ. He's there for everyone. He's, he's been made known. The gospel is being preached to all the world. The Bible says that man will be without excuse in Romans chapter 1. It says that the stars, the heaven, and they declare the glory of God. They're speaking night and day that there's a creator. 
all the trees, all the creation, even the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made as they make these discoveries about the human body, and unbelievably made the DNA and everything else, the way that our immune system works, and all these wonderful things, it's, it, it points to some intelligent being that he exists. But Romans 1 says that as God gave them over because they exchanged the creator to worship the creature, and it says he gave them over. But he says that they will be without excuse. And also says that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's like trying to hold the things down. There's so much speaking to that there's a God in heaven all around us that the world is having to go out of their way to come up with ridiculous ideas about how we got here. A big bang happened and, you know, order came from disorder. It's never been observed in the known universe. It's never been observed. Nowhere have we ever observed since this time or when this Big Bang supposedly took place. Never have we seen an explosion that, you know, like if a bomb goes off, you don't, a house doesn't appear. It disappears, right? I mean, we laugh because it's laughable. But yet the Big Bang Theory brought everything into order. And people are, yeah, that's right. The smart people believe that. The wise people have that. You know, you unwise people don't believe that. You... Well, the Bible says that it's a fool who has said in his heart, there is no God. So it's these ridiculous theories that don't make any sense logically that a child could figure out, but man are believing. They'll be without excuse. They're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. They have to work hard at it. And God is working overtime, if you will, to get the word out there, to let people know that there's a way to escape the coming judgment. And so as we look at this portion this morning, keep this in your mind. If you're a Christian, be sober. If you're a non-Christian, get saved. But let's look at this in verse 1 of chapter 5. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, when you think of a thief in the night, you think of somebody that comes into your house while you're sleeping, when you least expect it, you know, you're, you're sleeping and they come in and you don't know when they're coming unless you could stay awake and wait for them, right? That's the whole thing of being a thief, you know, being one of these cat burglars. They come when you least expect it in the middle of the night. And they wouldn't be successful if you were expecting them. They catch you off guard. Now he says there in verse 2, you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, so comes as a thief in the night. Now, I want you to see that he's talking about two different kinds of people in this passage. He's talking about the believer and the non-believer. He's going to mention you, talking to the, uh, the people in the church there, and he's going to say them. You know, when he talks about people that don't know the Lord, because the people that don't know the Lord, it's just going to be just like that. Just in the days of Noah. Noah preached for 120 years. Nobody believed him. Started raining. And... They apparently didn't catch on until it was way too late. The ark was closed. They were too busy. They were caught up in the things of the world. And then it was too late for them. Well, that's going to be the case for a lot of people, the non-believers. But look what he says regarding this. He says, back up, the times and the seasons. Here's the thing. The Bible declares this about these, the rapture, which begins the day of the Lord, which starts the day of the Lord, we can't know when that's going to happen. We don't know the day of the hour. I know people have tried to predict it, and the last big guy to try to predict it is embarrassed. He had to repent. Thank God that he did supposedly repent. He stuck a lot of bad doctrine, by the way. 
But at least he repented of that. What else are you going to do? I mean, you know, try to wiggle your way out of it. But it, you can't put a day or an hour when the Lord's coming back. Because he says in the Bible that no man knows the day or the hour. So we can't know that. But what about this idea of times and seasons? Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. And he was talking to them about discerning the signs of the skies. He says, you say that when the sky is red at night, there's going to be fair weather. Red sky at night, sailors delight. You've heard that, right? That's biblical. And then when you see a red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. There's going to be rough weather ahead. Those guys knew that. He says, you can discern that, but you can't discern the stuff right in front of your face. He called them hypocrites. They couldn't see Jesus right in front of them. That's what's going to happen to the world. And they were a religious bunch of people. But what about this idea of us being able to discern the times? Well, when we look around at the world and see what's going on. Like the days when I went to school, the biggest problem was gum chewing in class. Now people are bringing guns and shooting everyone in class. And it's not just something that happens every now and then. This is what the Bible says, and it mentions here in this passage about the birth pangs. Or in verse 3, it talks about when they say peace and destruction, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now think about the labor pains for a minute. Well, some of you have experienced them. But think about how they happen. You know, they start off, you're like, oh, you know, I've never had one, but you know, I could, you know it starts <laughs> off, right? And they, they start timing them because they're, you know, a ways apart, right? And you know that then they start coming closer and closer and closer, you know, together. That's showing you something. This baby's coming. You better get to the hospital, you know, whatever, however that works. But the idea is they get closer and closer. And do they, ladies, do they get worse and worse? Is that what happens too? Okay. I see a lot of heads going like this. Amen. <laughs> so that's what we're experiencing. That's what we're in the midst of right now. This weirdness is happening all around us. Evil is waxing worse and worse. The Bible also declares that there's coming a time, there is a time right now, we're living in a time where evil will be perceived as good and good will be perceived as evil. We're living there. We can expect more and more of this. We can expect more cataclysmic things to happen. Earthquakes, tsunamis, you know, plagues, pestilences around the world. And then the manner of man become more and more wicked, more and more evil. It's happening amongst us. These are signs. He uses the idea of the birth pains or the pregnant woman and the labor pains. That's what's happening to us. And the word to the Christian this morning is, are you sober? Are you sober-minded? Oh, not just not drinking alcohol. That's not what it's speaking to right here specifically. But I would think that should, fall, that should be a no-brainer in our case. I guarantee you, you will never get drunk if you don't drink alcohol. I can guarantee you that right now. You'll never get drunk on alcohol if you don't drink. And it's interesting the way that the whole thing works about being sober. You can't help you know, to explain being sober. I've got to think about drunkenness. I, I don't know about you, but I, that's what I have to think about, even though it's being clear-minded. And by God's grace, maybe some of you have never experienced that. Praise the Lord. But we can't all say that. But what happens when you get in that state of drunkenness? And it's different, I guess, for everyone, but the, the first thing that starts happening, apparently your motor skills are, are slowed down. 
And the thing about this, you don't even realize it. Some people start getting a little happy when it starts happening. You get a little buzz going. It's like it's a good thing, right? You, you know. But the idea, it's never a good thing. You, when you're you're getting out of really who you are, the Bible says, "Be not drunk with wine, but which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit." In other words, don't be controlled by anything else but by the Spirit of God. But anyway, you start. It's a little by little thing. You start just kind of losing your motor skills, and you're a little slow. You know, they, they tested this. They've done this. It's little by little. Ground is being taken. Your mind is being overtaken with something. Again, it's different for everybody who, how much it takes for some person to get that way or whatever. But the idea to me, when I'm thinking about being sober and putting it against being drunk, is the way that it happens. A little at a time. Little by little. And then you just find yourself one day that you're a drunkard. I mean, I don't think drunkards probably necessarily, not many of them, started out to be that way. It just started little by little. And it's the same way in what he's talking about here. He's talking about, you could say, spiritually. Remaining sober. Being clear-minded. Be careful what you introduce into your heart and mind. When it comes to alcohol, let's say, when you introduce it into your body, it has an effect. Now, when you introduce things into your mind and heart, it has an effect. The media is powerful. True story. And it scared the daylights out of me. Even then, I wasn't walking with the Lord. Then I was probably 18 years old. And I was hanging out with them. not a good crowd of people, but they were my friends. All right? And one day, I came over to the apartment where these guys were living. I lived with my parents, but they lived there. And we go over there and hang out and party and everything like that. And one day, uh, we were just watching television. And on the television, they had a, there was a robbery going on on the television, as I recall. It's been a, lot of, a long time ago. And then, it wasn't long after that that these guys disappeared, my friends, and there were some people left in the apartment, and they left, and then all of a sudden I heard the, you know, the way that the police used to be the old days, you know, back in the 70s, and somebody in the apartment told me that they had went and robbed someplace, armed robbery, the guys that were watching TV, who watched the robbery on TV. Now, I don't know if they had this whole thing planned, it was a coincidence that the robbery came on TV, or... I don't know how it all worked, but I do know this, that advertising works. It's proven, or why would they spend billions of dollars on it if it didn't work? I'm telling you that when you put stuff into your mind and heart, it affects you. Now, that thing that we saw that I was explaining to you, that was probably an extreme example about it, but I'm going to tell you something, the robbery that is, but media does affect us. Just like reading the Bible will affect you, you know, it will affect you in a positive way. There are other things in the world, other things that come into your heart and mind will affect you in a negative way. Guaranteed. But we need to be able to discern the times and the seasons. Well, that's all the time we have for today here on Anchored in the Word with Pastor Bill Beckelman of Calvary Chapel Coastlands. Don't forget to join us next time as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of First Thessalonians. If you've missed part of this message and would like to catch up or you'd like to hear it again, this message is archived at our website at anchoredintheword.com. And if you'd like to continue studying with Pastor Bill as he teaches through the Bible at Calvary Chapel Coastlands, we have the entire library of his messages posted for listening and download. Visit our website, anchoredintheword.com and connect with Calvary Chapel Coastlands for our online messages. We would also love to hear from you, so if you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, please contact us. 
Our phone number is 732-544-2225. That's 732-544-2225. If you prefer to write, our address is 178 Main Street, Eatontown, New Jersey, 07724. Or email us at info at com. If you're in the Eatontown, New Jersey area and would like to visit us, we would love to meet with you. Calvary Chapel Coastlands is located at 178 Main Street, Highway 35 in Eatontown, New Jersey. Anchored in the Word is the radio ministry of Pastor Bill Beckelman of Calvary Chapel Coastlands. We hope you will join us next time as we continue our study through the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's our prayer that you would be moored in sound doctrine and anchored in the Word.